if you have your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 9, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9, continuing on the series of Daniel, and you're thinking, aren't we in the Christmas season? Shouldn't we be doing a Christmas message? I want to let you know, even though this is Daniel chapter 9, this all has a lot to do with the pointing to the birth of Jesus Christ, at least to his triumphal entry. So we are focusing, yes, on uh, Christmas as well. Daniel chapter 9 is a little challenging, though, if you've had a chance to read through it yet. I uh, send out little hyperlinks for you to read those chapters ahead of time. I would encourage you to, and, and then you can kind of, because I don't go as deep as you probably would need to in a matter of 20 minutes, 25 minutes. But, but Daniel chapter 9 is, is again, the, Daniel starts in this lamenting place where he, he really sees the sin of, of Israel. He sees, remember, he's in exile in Babylon. We, we know Daniel, if you haven't been tracking with us, Daniel in the lion's den. We know Daniel's friend, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fiery furnace. Daniel has, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and it needs to be interpreted. Daniel's interpreted his dream. Handwriting on the wall, right? That's in Daniel. And Daniel interprets that one as well. But here Daniel is really troubled it starts out in Daniel chapter 9. He's troubled that he can't understand something that Jeremiah says. If you know, it's kind of weird because our Bible's not in a chronological order. So if you read it from front to back, you, you might be like, what happens this way and that way? But Daniel, even though it's uh, later in the Bible, probably was written um, uh, at least the same time as Jeremiah. And Jeremiah and Daniel were contemporaries and they... But yet, Jeremiah said something about this 70 years. And we, we see that right here in, in Daniel chapter 9. It says, uh, the end of desolations of Jerusalem. And, and then it says, he was concerned about this desolation, this Jerusalem, because his heart as a Jewish person who's now in exile was taken away from his home country, is longing to be back and is longing to see God restore this promised land. But he couldn't figure out this 70-year thing that Jeremiah wrote about. So he goes into prayer and fasting. And by the way, if you want to have insight into God's stuff, I would encourage you to pray and fast. There's something about repentance. There's something about praying. And there's something about fasting that brings you a place of revelation to what God is saying for your life, but also opens up the scripture. I have to say, I was telling my wife, Audra, I said, this is probably the hardest thing I've ever preached on because I was scratching my head. I needed revelation. And you can go into commentaries, you go into deeper things, which I typically don't go into those commentaries always. I just kind of like let the word of God speak for itself. I don't want to necessarily have other people's opinions on it. It's helpful. But I was really like, God, I, I, this is like, how does this apply to the church? Well, first and foremost, I, the, the first application I want you right out of the gate, if you're taking notes, write this down, that if you want understanding, and I think we need to understand where are the times we live in, that prayer, fasting, and repentance, repentance is simply this, turning towards Jesus and turning away from the world, turning away from the things that are sinful, the things that have become gods in your life, the things that have, have taken you away from your relationship with Jesus, turn away from those things and turn towards Jesus. That's repentance. So he's in this time of wanting understanding. So he's, 
This whole first section, I'm not going to read that whole first section, but he's lamenting, prayer and fasting, repenting. He's actually speak, um, praying on behalf of Israel, all the people in Israel. The interesting thing he's, he's doing in this, like, and like before, the angel Gabriel shows up and helps him understand. And I was hoping for an angel myself to show up to bring understanding as well. Thankfully, Gabriel gives some understanding, but Gabriel is a celestial being. And again, his <laughs> talk in scripture was like very lofty. So I needed to get some understanding. By the way, if you want to say, how do, how do, why do we depict angels with wings? There's only a few places uh, in scripture that talks about angels in flight. This is one of them in Daniel, which is interesting. It says, Gabriel comes in flight. And it might be literal or it might be a figure of speech like he came quickly. Um, but just a little fun fact. The other thing in going and understanding this, when we talk about weeks, so Jeremiah talks about these 70 weeks um, and Daniel's confused about, about it. We need to understand the seven, the weeks in scripture actually talks about um, sets of seven, sets of seven. All biblical scholars will say that's true. So sets of seven, when you say weeks. So when you're saying weeks, it's not weeks like we know it, it's actually seven times seven, right? Or seven times 70, if it's, he was saying 70 weeks, that's what gives you the time frame. So the interpretation, and we'll read this together, is really trying to depict when Jerusalem is going to be um, reestablished, and then the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, here's the Christmas story, the coming of the Messiah, and it is so crazy how accurate it is. The other thing you have to understand is, is you have to understand there's two calendars that we, we work off of the Gregorian calendar, Gregorian calendar, and yet there is a Egyptian calendar that would be more uh, lunal, lu, lu, the moon, <laughs> lunar, lunar, whatever that is, the moon, the moon. All right, so there's two calendars, so you have to understand one has 365 days, that's our calendar, and the lunar calendar, we'll call it that, that's the easier one. Oh, I said it right. Um, uh, <laughs> I just surprised myself. <laughs> All right, um, only has 360 days. A lot of information, I'm trying to make this boring and, and go like a history lesson here. There's application here, so stay with me, stay with me. Okay, so we're gonna read some things here for us for a second. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, we're going to start there. It says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. And I'm just going to kind of give some interpretation as we're going along or some understanding. So again, 70 weeks, that weeks means um, groups of seven or sets of seven are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to both seal vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. And when it says holy place there, they're not necessarily talking physical place. It can be, but most importantly, it could be talking about a person or an event. So when we go back up here and just follow what I just read, what does it sound like? So first of all, a decree about your people, he's talking about the Jewish people, holy city Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put to the end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Who does that sound like? Jesus. So here he's saying that there's some event that's going to take place. 
that Israel's going to be, or Jerusalem's going to be restored with a temple, and there's going to be a significant Messiah that comes that's going to put an end to sin, to transgressions, and it's all going to be about... Now, here's the interesting thing about this too. It says to seal up both vision and profit. Some people would read that and say, today, there, God no longer speaks today. There's no longer prophecy today. There's no longer vision today. And I, I would say, obviously, you look at the whole New Testament and, and you would say, okay, that there's still, um, God's still active. By the way, for us, we believe that when you come to Christ and you ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God indwells in us. And so he's the one, he's the spirit of prophecy, right? So he will continue to speak truth to us. All right, so here we keep going. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build um, or rebuild Jerusalem. In some, in some translations, it would say uh, the roads uh, and the streets. Rebuild Jerusalem uh, to the coming of the anointed one, a prince. Where, who do we know as a prince? The prince of peace. Who's that? Jesus, a prince. And by the way, back, back in then, the prince was not necessarily meaning, hey, there's a king and a prince. When they would speak to prince, it was actually a, uh, a very honorable, uh, majestic way of putting it. Thankfully, we know Jesus is named as the prince of peace, but it's not to say that Jesus is not the king of kings uh, by saying he's a prince there. But they're referring to Jesus. There should be seven weeks. Okay, again, remember that seven is sets of seven. So seven times seven. Uh, there will, there, uh, then, then for 62 weeks, 62 groups of seven, shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled times. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing so Jesus, when he came to earth, it said he was despised. It said even his own family rejected him, right? So you see the prophecy. This was written probably 600 years before Jesus came um, to the scene. Um, and so we realize that, that the prophet was speaking the truth, but Gabriel was giving him a lot of that information. Okay, continuing on. And the people of the prince who to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. I'm not going to spill the beans on this one quite yet. We're going to jump right into six. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations um, are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. All right, so I just want to say right here in the half of when it says its end shall come with a flood, we have to realize now it's a break. Basically, the prophet um, is saying that when Jesus comes, okay, he's going to conquer sin. He's going to atone. He's going to establish righteousness. And then he goes on to say that he breaks up into another section, which now he's talking about future events, which are before us. Everything up to this time, he's talking about history. We're, we're looking back in history. It's forward for Daniel writing, right? He wasn't around before the Messiah came. But for us, we see what he spoke of is going to come true. 
the Messiah comes. But this last part here, and this is where it got really crazy in my mind to figure this thing out through the help of the Holy Spirit and obviously um, through research. But this section now comes to future events. And, and so when it starts, it's end shall come with a flood in our future. This is called the tribulation. And the end shall be war. We know that in Revelation, right? We know in Matthew, Jesus says there'll be wars, rumors of wars. We know that in Revelation, he talks about this, this massive end time battle that's taking place, Armageddon. Um, desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Okay, so it, it, when it says many for one week, it probably should better say the many for one week. The Israelites were known as the many. And so he's going to make, we're now talking about the Antichrist, is going to make a covenant with, um, with the leaders. He's going to be a political leader making a covenant with Israel in the future now for one week. Remember, that's really meaning seven years. So one week, right? It's always a group of seven, so one week is seven years. The seven years, why we know that this is future events is because in Revelation, which by the way wasn't written until after Jesus' time in, I don't know, who's a good Bible scholar here? I think 90 AD is when uh, John on the island of Patmos wrote the book of Revelation. So we know this, this is in the future. And he says, and for one week and for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of uh, abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is poured out on the desecrator. Wow, lots of big words and complicated. What does this mean to me? Please help me out because I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so what's going to happen is the Antichrist is going to come. He's going to make an agreement with Israel that... Three and a half years. You know, last week when I was talking about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, honestly, we just know Jesus is coming back. There's, there's great arguments for all of those pre-trib, mid-trib. I happen to be a mid-trib guy. Somebody might convince me otherwise someday, but currently I'm a mid-trib. So in other words, we're going through some difficult seasons. Maybe not the full thing before the rapture happens. But here it is, after the... the this agreement that is made, the Antichrist, he's going to, to work on these, um, these abominations, which basically that means that he's going to desecrate. He's going to the temple of God. He's going to somehow try to corrupt anything that has the image of God or anything that connects people to God. And then we know the end of the story. Until the decree end is poured out on the desolator, we know that the Antichrist is, is taken over. Jesus comes and sets up his rule and reign here on earth. And, uh, and he will overcome uh, the war, the, the horrible things that are taking place by this Antichrist. Now, there's a couple things. So we know in Revelation, right? So we know that there's the three and a half years that it talks about in Revelation that actually then talks about how many days are in those three and a half years and that's how those days and years can figure out to when Jesus returned. I'm just going to read real quick 
somebody's opinion um, on these days. Just because this is a little fun fact, and we'll go quick on that one. Then I want to get to the, the, the meat of this. Okay, so in Daniel chapter 9, how do we get there? So he says 62 weeks, right? So if they're groups of 62, um, and then he says 62 weeks, and then there's another week, another 7, right? So 7 plus 62 is 69 groups of 7, which is 7 times 69, 483 years. All right, so that one is, there's no stretch in that. That one makes sense. But here's, here's what we do from on that. So... You know what? I can send this to you. I don't need to take your time on this. I got some more important things. Bottom line is, when they started to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, but also rebuild the city, that was in Nehemiah's time. And Nehemiah, um, when, they, when he got that decree from Artaxerxes to go re, not rebuild the wall, Ezra got the instruction to go rebuild the wall. But Nehemiah was given the instruction to go rebuild the, not only the temple, the wall, and the, and the city. So we say, see here in this prophetic uh, um, revelation, that it was the person that was going to rebuild the city that the time frame started of the years, the 72 weeks to bring us to the place of actually, so was it Jesus' birth that it was pointing to? This person would say, if he did his math correctly, it was actually to the triumphal entry is when the so when Jesus came in as a prince, and he was this is the first time that he was in his ministry that he accepted some sort of kingship, some kind of authority. Before he was always like, don't tell anybody I did this, I'm lowly. But when he rode in uh, on a donkey before his crucifixion, the triumphal entry, um, he received some authority in that area. So all this brought us to, to Jesus. And then from Jesus, the interesting thing, this gives us one final week. So this revelation is not yet finished. This is how it relates to us. That final week, the tribulation, the seven years, it's written about in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 10, next week, we'll talk about how Jesus returns. It's going to be pretty, uh, pretty epic because it's not the Jesus you think uh, you see initially in the, in the gospel. But what I want to talk about um, quickly right now is understanding what takes place when he talks about the temple. Because I think sometimes this is the thing that kind of like was a, an aha moment for me this week. Sometimes I've been a student of prophecy before and, and I'm somewhat interested in it, maybe years past, I think it can take you on a lot of rabbit trails and lose focus on really what we're trying to do is love people well and love God well, right? So I don't want to go too far on that. But, but what I realized, some people would say, well, isn't there a third temple that has to be rebuilt before Jesus comes back? And so they're making plans. Yes, in Israel, third temple and this red heifer thing and all, all this stuff. But when Jesus got in trouble before he was crucified, he says, in three days, this temple will be destroyed and it'll be raised up in three days. So this temple will be destroyed and it'll be raised up in three days, Jesus' statement. Everybody thought that it was a temple in Jerusalem that Jesus was saying, he's out of his mind. First of all, he's going to destroy it or who's going to destroy it and it's going to be rebuilt in 30, three days? I don't think so. Blasphemy. The other interesting scripture, though, that we need to talk about is... 
that we are named, by the way, that was John 2, 9. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, it says that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. I think sometimes we read Old Testament and we kind of like lose the idea of understanding we are in a new order when Jesus came and the Holy Spirit came to earth. We are kind of in a new order, new covenant. And now everything that was like physical is now spiritual, right? Old Testament, we'd like, if you murder somebody, you know, it's sin. Now he says, if you have hate in your heart, it's like you've committed murder. If you have adultery, right? Old Testament, you've sinned. If you have lust in your heart, New Testament, lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Everything seems to go into a spiritual level and even a little bit more accountability and responsibility. So when Jesus starts talking about that, not only is he the temple, now that he's saying, this is the important part, right? Okay, he finally got to the place where I can pay attention now. That... That, the, that you are the temple of God. Don't be looking for another temple to be built. A temple is already built right here. You are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians says that. And I want to read that scripture. 1 Corinthians 3. Sixteen. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. Before that, I just want to read a little bit of that one as well. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. The foundation is Jesus. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which was laid, again, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D. What's that day? Great judgment. We don't know. Is it a tribulation where the fire is going to try to consume us? We don't know. We'll disclose it. There's going to be a day that's going to disclose what's in our temple. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives. Foundation's Christ, remember. He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you have a foundation first and foremost? Your foundation, the only way you're going to survive the fire that's coming is if you are rooted in Jesus Christ, the foundation of Christ in your life. Simple. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to work for it. You just invite Jesus into your life. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. You're saved by grace. Acknowledge Jesus' work on the cross, that he took care of your sin, your guilt, your shame. And he took it upon himself. Redemption. That's what the prophecy in Daniel was talking about.
the other thing is, is when they talk about that this Antichrist is going to make abominations, and Jesus himself and Matthew even said, like it says in Daniel, the abominations that will occur. Like it says, so he's referring, Jesus is referring to Daniel. I started thinking about if we are the temple, what are the abominations that are taking place in our temple? What are the things that we have allowed the enemy to twist and distort that no longer reflect the goodness and the glory of who God is? It's easy for the world. I mean, it's easy for us to point fingers and and to kind of say, hey, wait a second. You know, God made male and female and this whole transgender thing, right? People are like calling themselves something different than what God created. Is that an abomination? Probably is. Now, I want to be sensitive. If you're struggling, you feel like those feelings and, and you're walking through that in life. I, I just want to let you know that my heart goes out to you. So there's no judgment from me on that. I'm just saying that when we start taking on the world's systems and it gets corrupted, we know that the Bible says there's many antichrists, not just one. We know there will be a antichrist. But it got me thinking about if Jesus is looking for temples to be rebuilt and yet he says the temple of God now resides in us, it makes me think that we should be thinking about how holy is this temple. Now, thankfully, we're human beings and we have, <clears throat> we still walk and struggle with things, right? We still, we still need that sanctification or we need that process of purification. That's what the Holy Spirit walks with us with so wonderfully. <clears throat> but just to let you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, that's the work of the cross. But he does say that our works are going to have to, are, are they going to test be tested in the fire, and are they going to reveal something? So picture you, picture you, you're the temple, and yet your works, how you've loved people, how you care for somebody, how unselfish you are, how you've cared for the, uh, the poor, how you've, and I'm not saying works, we're not saved by works, right? We know this. Don't go works mode on me. But, but, but what you want to say is like, how is my life bringing glory to Jesus and to God, our Father? We are the temple. And when Jesus returns, he's going to be looking for his temples. I just wonder, I wonder, in, when I was younger, I thought there had to be a third temple that was built for Jesus to come back. But Jesus changed everything when he said he was the temple, and now he's saying that we're the temple. So that means that I think that Jesus can come back anytime. Now there's some events that are going to unfold for sure. And we're going to continue to go into that. But my challenge for us today, thank you for enduring uh, with me. Or we're usually done a little bit sooner than this. Is I want us to think about yourself as a temple. I want you to think of yourself as, as one who is Christ residing in you. And how well are you making it comfortable for him to reside? <laughs> What are you putting in? What are you dispensing? All right, just like I did last week. I, it was helpful for me because I feel like I end, I will close my book, but then I, don't, I, like, I, I go back home. I was like, did I make that point?
Lastly, and this I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, you know the tribulation talks about this great war and fire. I wonder again, spiritual speaking, right? It says our war is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities of the air. So I wonder if, if maybe, if just maybe we're still looking for these warring events, like we're looking for physical temples, we're looking for tanks and planes to do things, but yet maybe there's this war that's already raging around us. And yet we are to be the temple, we're to be the salt and light, and, and yet the, the fire that's coming is this fire of this, this war that's raging against us spiritually. And are we going to stand, be able to stand, when everybody else is wanting to crumble under this pressure of societal norms, the pressure to conform into whatever people tell you you should conform into. I'll tell you the only thing we should be conforming into is the image of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.